Oh, let's give him praise together. Let's give him praise together. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, let's praise our God. We have time to praise him. We have time to love him here. Oh, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. We've got time to lift up his name. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Thank you so much, Brother Nathan Morton, for those kind remarks and comments. Amen. I want to express my thanks to Elder Vaughn Morton for the confidence and all of the fine hospitality. And when you get invited to preach and Elder Morton's connected with it, boy, they treat you good. I mean, real good. And I appreciate that very, very much. I appreciate the influence in my life of Elder Morton. And I want to say thank you to each one of the speakers here and the one that is yet to come. Thank God whose shoelaces I am unworthy to unloose. Tonight's service will be, I'm sure, the capstone of this entire meeting at West Coast Conference 2002. We have heard some tremendous things preached here tremendous things. I found a book at a old used bookstore that was 40 years old the other day and it so inspired me. I taught number one of a series of Bible studies that I don't know how many I'm going to get out of it. 40 years ago, a denominal preacher wrote a book called The Ecumenical Mirage. 40 years ago. A denominal preacher had enough insight into the Word of God to not only speak out against it, but to write it in book form so everybody could clearly see that is nothing but a mirage. Amen. And I am so happy to come to a place to hear a clear sound, a loud trumpet being blown. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Not only to the speakers, but I see many, many preacher friends of mine and to all of the like-minded brethren that are a part of my fellowship circle. I want to tell you we need each other in this last hour. We need each other in this last hour. We need... The Lord, to help us show how to band together for the work of God that needs to be done. One of the most moving experiences of my life was to receive a phone call this past year from an evangelist that was preaching off in another state. And he called me, and in the process of the conversation, he told me, I'm preaching for a pastor here in this state. And he said, this pastor, I have heard him with my own ears day after day. I have heard him 
Brother White, have you ever preached in this church? I said, no, I've never had the privilege of preaching in that church. He told me what a great church it was. He said, this pastor started collecting a list of men of God out of appreciation for their willingness to stand in conferences, conferences, places where they go, and contend for the old paths. And he said, I have heard this pastor day after day call your name out in prayer along with the list of other men that I'm not even worthy to be on their list. And when he told me that, I can't tell you how deeply that moved my heart. For us to band together and learn how to pray for one another, to learn how to strengthen one another, to learn how to show appreciation to men of God that help us along the journey. Hallelujah. That's what the kingdom's all about. To you precious saints of God, if you think getting up here and contending for the faith is something that's easy, that's smart-alecky, that's somebody trying to show off, somebody that doesn't care for anybody's feelings, I got news for you. Every Mount Carmel is followed by a lonely cave experience. Every time fire is called out of heaven and the crowd applauds, sees the marvelous move of God. You need to read where the prophet was the next chapter. You need to read where he was at and how desperate in need of a word of encouragement that he was. I'm telling you, we need one another. I'd like you to pray with me right now. I feel God talking to our hearts. Let's just pray for each other right now. Would you do that? Would you lift your voice? Oh, God, in the name of Jesus, I'm praying for every good saint of God. It's loving and embracing truth, God. I pray for every preacher of righteousness, God. I pray for them, Lord. I pray that your spirit, your presence, your glory, your strength, your sustaining grace would be upon it. I pray, mighty God, in this last hour, give the church of the living God the strength that it needs, God. Stand against the onslaught of hell. Oh, Savior, I believe you. Mighty God, thank you for this congregation. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord, for people that love truth, God. Help us, Lord. Help us, God. Help us, God, stand tall. Oh, to be sensitive, Lord. I praise you and I love you and I thank you, God. In the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Open up your Bible, if you will, with me. 27th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. Amen. Hallelujah. Deuteronomy chapter number 27. And I will begin reading at verse number 2 and skip after a few verses down to one more verse. 
Deuteronomy chapter 27. My, the hour is still early around here. Anybody going to try to hurry the preacher here today? I won't try to drag it out if you won't try to hurry it. Sound like a pretty good deal, does it? Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse number 2. And it shall be on the day when ye shall pass over Jordan unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, that thou shalt set thee up great stones, plaster them with plaster. Thou shalt write upon them all the words of this law. When thou art passed over, that thou mayest go in unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, a land that floweth with milk and honey, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee. Therefore it shall be, when ye shall be gone over Jordan, that ye shall set up these stones, which I command you this day, Mount Ebel, thou shalt plaster them with plaster, and there shalt thou build an altar unto the Lord thy God, an altar of stone. Thou shalt not lift up any tool upon them, Thou shalt build the altar of the Lord thy God of whole stones. Thou shalt offer burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord thy God. And thou shalt offer peace offerings and shalt eat there and rejoice before the Lord thy God. Nothing dull, dead, boring about living the commandments of God. He said, live it, but rejoice about it. Amen. It's not a drudgery. It's not going to the dentist. It's not a big pain. Rejoice. Hallelujah. That you're committed to live these things before the Lord. He said, verse number 8, And thou shalt write upon the stones all the words of this law very plainly. Will you say that with me? Very plainly. And Moses and the priest, the Levites, spake unto all Israel, saying, Take heed and hearken, O Israel, this day thou art become the people of the Lord thy God. I want you to notice what he said. This day, you do all of these things just like I told you, it's got nothing to do with what shingle you hang over the door of your church trying to identify you as God's people. He said, it's not until you do all of this right here. And that very day, amen, you shall become the people. Thou art become the people of God. And here's part of the things that he said had to be written very, very plainly. Verse 17, Cursed be he that removeth his neighbor's landmark. And all the people shall say, Amen. Oh, hallelujah. I want to preach here today what I feel very certain God has put upon my heart. Thy neighbor's landmark. Not your own, your neighbor's landmark. Curse it 
be he that removeth his neighbor's landmark. Would you lift your voice one more time and ask God to talk to us? God, in the name of Jesus Christ, I love you, praise and honor you. Oh, God, I need you. God, I need you. God, I humbly ask you for strength and grace and help, the power that I need, God, to deliver what you have given to my soul, Lord. I pray it, God. I ask it in your great name, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God bless you, and you may be seated. Landmarks in the Scripture, in the scriptural context, of course, we all understand were given, first of all, for a very important natural usage. And the people that came and inhabited any land, no matter where that it was, they didn't have meets and bounds descriptions. They didn't have a surveyor that could come out and mark a particular spot, chalk off where the dividing lines were. They had to depend upon their landmarks. They took and they placed large boulders. They did whatever they could do to plant trees. And those became the undisputed boundary lines and markers that were there for all of the people. It wasn't just for you, but it was protection for your neighbor also. It was protection for the one that lived next to the one, to the one, to the next, to the next. All the way down, it provided them with a beautiful way of honoring the individual property rights of one another. And in the spiritual sense, the Bible is very, very clear that landmarks are the boundary markers of our spiritual inheritance. All of us know that. Amen. All of us agree to that, don't we? Amen. Hallelujah. Now, if you're going to sit the spark plugs down, I want to make sure the rest of you come to life just a little bit. All right? Amen. Hallelujah. Is that all right? Amen. Hallelujah. Help the preacher preach a little bit here. Praise God. Amen. Two times in the Scripture, the scriptural commands that were given in the law of God concerning landmarks are and contain no mention whatsoever of your own landmark. We live in a world and in a society that we are so wrapped up in ourselves. We are so concerned about our own. And all we care about is what we can make sure is taken care of and that everybody respects my rights. But according to the Bible and God's concern here, both times that God gave instructions concerning landmarks, it was specifically mentioned that it is your neighbor's landmark that God wants to know how you feel about that. Hallelujah. Amen. It is as if God was saying, 
If you value your neighbor's landmark, you'll value your own. But if you hold your neighbor's landmark in light esteem, it is an indicator that deep in your bosom, you do not value your own landmark. And you hold that also with the same attitude that you hold your neighbor's landmark that was there. I got to praying and thinking about the influence of this conference over the last 20 years. And I've heard a lot of comments about how deeply that this conference has affected the thousands of lives of young people and struggling teenagers that needed a place to get a hold of something. And I 100% concur with that. Eternity alone will tell how many young people were blessed by it. But when this conference started, I was not a young person at all. But I was a young preacher that was still in my 20s. And I want you to know that young people were not the only ones that have been affected by this conference. I want you to know, amen, I as one of many young preachers that God only knows how many have been dramatically affected by this conference where we are at. Allow me to just give you a thumbnail sketch of my own journey. I evangelized from age 20 to age 26, and I uh, felt that touch of God. There are men here today that were so gracious to let me preach in your pulpit, and I am deeply indebted to you during that time. But I had an attitude that I confess to you at that stage of my life. Uh, I had an attitude that said, holiness preaching is not something that I need to get involved in. I'm young. I don't really have a lot of clout. I don't have a lot of people that will pay a lot of attention to what I have to say about holiness issues. And so I will just quietly live it myself and keep my own nose clean and live right and walk right before God. At the age of 26, I became a pastor. And I continued on with that same attitude. It said, I will preach holiness only in my local church. And there's some good saints here from Victory Tabernacle in Burbank that know, no matter how long they've been there, that I have consistently preached the whole counsel of God to the local church. But an attitude was in my heart that said, even yet, I'm a pastor. And probably the easiest way to get this done is just let every local church take care of all of their own holiness preaching. Not let anybody else worry about their neighbor's landmark. 
Amen. Just keep your own row of cotton straight. Just get everything right and down pat. And that's all that God would ever expect out of anybody. Just going to make sure that that's all done. But in my late 20s, I started attending this conference. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I started hearing preaching themes from valiantly anointed men of God screaming from the pulpit, Stand up for our common beliefs. Oh, hallelujah. Strengthen your brother in his stand for our common beliefs. Oh, hallelujah. Cry aloud for the ancient landmarks. Lift up your voice and use all the influence you got, no matter how little or how much it is. Use it for the kingdom of God. Use it not to earn yourself a name, not to earn yourself a reputation, but utilize whatever platforms God has given to you. And I'm telling you, my generation was not the last generation of young preachers. Hallelujah. My generation was probably not the last young men that felt and still even feel exactly like I felt along the road of the journey. My neighbor's landmark is really not a big concern of mine. Just keep my canoe straight in the water. That's all that matters. Just got to make sure that I'm taken care of, doing right, doing the things of God. I'll never forget those prayer meetings at this conference. Power, powerfully impressed by God one night that I am my brother's keeper. That stinking spirit of Cain, amen, i got to get that off of me. Amen. That's a cop-out. I am responsible for my brother. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I am responsible to help him guide, do, preach, teach, encourage the phone, anywhere that I possibly can. There were men of God that preached at this conference that convinced me beyond any doubt that all it takes for evil to triumph is for good men to remain silent. That principle is still valid today. That principle will be valid 20 years from today. That all it takes for evil to triumph is for good men to shrink from their responsibility. Amen. Amen. And I asked the Lord at this conference, God, whatever influence that you give me in life, 
I promise you, I will use it for your kingdom's sake. And God elevated me in the eyes of some and gave me prominence in the eyes of some. You don't understand if you haven't traveled that road. Amen. I've stood at my motel door many days before going to preach a night at a youth conference or a youth camp with tears streaming down my cheeks at the door clutching my Bible, saying, God, if I preach what you laid on my heart tonight to preach, I know there's many in this congregation that will write me off forever. But God, I didn't get here by myself. You gave me, you gave me this platform to preach. And I will answer only to you, God. I'm not here to pick fights. I'm not here to cause trouble. Amen. But I am here to strengthen the things that remain. Oh. I might be in another state. I might be a long ways away. Uh, but if there's somebody's landmark uh, that is being contended for uh, and they're in the trenches uh, and they're fighting with all of their might uh, and they're giving it everything that they've got, uh, I have got to help uh, my brother defend his landmark. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, I'm feeling the Holy Ghost here today. Amen. Are you feeling what I'm feeling? God's in this place. Uh, the Spirit of God is here. God told the children of Israel, He said, when you cross over Jordan, He said, I, I, I've got a job for you to do. I want you to not just build up a pile of stones like you did in the middle of the river, but I want you to get it out on the bank. But this time, amen, I don't want it to be uh, like, like one of those just pillars of stone that your children are going to have to ask you, what does this mean? Uh, he said, I want it self-explanatory. Uh-huh. I don't want it to have to run through anybody's filter. Anybody put a twist on it. Uh, amen. Anybody of the spin doctors uh, give their spin as to what this scripture means or doesn't mean. Uh, if it's culture or custom or doesn't apply to our generation or does apply to our generation. Uh, he said, I don't want any of that. Uh, no room for questions. Uh, you put the pile of stones up uh, and then you plaster it uh, with plaster. Amen. And while that plaster is still wet. Uh, while it's still wet, uh, he said, I want you to write very plainly, uh, very plainly uh, for you, uh, for the next generation, uh, for the one that's coming after that. Uh, I want you to write it. Uh, it's not going to be adjusted or modified uh, for anybody, anywhere, anytime. Uh, I want you to put it in plaster. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. And he said, if you'll do that, 
if you'll set it in wet concrete, that when it dries, there's no chipping it, changing it, moving a few letters, adjusting it for anybody. If you will do that, oh, hallelujah. He said, then you're qualified to become the people of God. Go by any title you want to, any name you want to. But if you want to become my people, and you want your God to call you the people of God, that's what you've got to do. And one of the things that he put is you've got to write it for all generations to see. Curse it. Be he that removeth his neighbor's landmark. God won't deal lightly with anybody minimizing your neighbor's landmark. Said you got to get it in your gut that you believe that man is cursed of God. That man that removes his neighbor's landmark is cursed by the Almighty God. And he said, going to be like that, whether you guys agree or not. He said, oh, no. And all the people say, amen. Hallelujah. He said, I want total agreement uh, upon the subject uh, that you all understand. Uh, that's something that is so cherished uh, and so valuable uh, and so precious uh, that you won't make excuses uh, for anybody uh, that tries to mess uh, with their neighbor's landmark. Well, hallelujah. You know, defending your neighbor's landmark is a pretty difficult thing. 1990, the Gulf War broke out because Kuwait, a little Arab country, half a world away, had a neighbor named Iraq that did not respect its boundary line had a neighbor that just moved in like we're in charge. We don't care how many generations they've claimed this border here. It's ours. It's our country. We're taking over around here. I listened to the debate of the doves and the hawks in the U.S. Congress during that time period. Many of you did. Many of you heard such senior senators wax eloquent with their passive spirits and said, we're not a part of the Arab League. It's really not a concern of the United States of America. It's really not something that we should dive into, jeopardize our young men's lives. Put them in harm's way for a border and a boundary that's not ours. They're not even fighting on our soil. They're not even messing with anything of ours. Absolutely 
crazy for us to imagine pumping all of the dollars into that. But the cooler heads prevailed and said, I'm telling you, that kind of thinking is a dead-end street. The thinking that says we can't right the wrongs of the whole world, so we just have to stay out and keep our own nose clean. Uh, we'll end up allowing dictators and despots, uh, amen, to rule and reign uh, and stop over any country, any nation, uh, the sovereignty of their borders uh, and what they're doing and not doing. Uh, and thank God for men uh, that weren't even religious, uh, that stood in the halls of Congress uh, and said it's a half a world away, uh, but it is a boundary. Uh, we better be concerned about uh, it is uh, their landmark, uh, but it does indirectly uh, affect us. Uh, don't bury your head in the sand, boys. Uh, sooner or later, if we let it go, uh, it's going to get here. Hallelujah. And off to war, our sons and daughters went to fight a valiant war for a faraway neighbor's landmark. Are you happy they did? Anybody here glad they did? There's no telling. What kind of poison, amen, Saddam Hussein would be 12 years later if somebody hadn't chopped him a few times. The early church had an incredible unity, a unity that all of us should look at and long and desire to be just like them. There is so much preaching uh, about the need for unity. And I totally agree if you're going to do it like the early church did it. The early church had unity because of leadership like the Apostle Paul uh, that had an attitude uh, of deepest respect uh, for his neighbor's landmark. Uh, a man uh, that showed it by his own lifestyle. Uh, that if somebody had a landmark uh, about a Jewish vow uh, being kept on a particular day, uh, Paul would shave his head, uh, come completely bald uh, and walk in uh, to in no way uh, jeopardize that man's uh, landmark that he had been taught uh, by his forefathers uh, was so important uh, for him to keep. Uh, you never found the Apostle Paul uh, saying that's stupid, that's ignorant. Uh, I'm not about to go along with that. Uh, what kind of a dumbbell is he? Uh, why does he think uh, that's so important. Uh, what in the world is wrong with him? Uh, I'm not going to do it. Uh, and you know what happened? Uh, a unity started happening among them uh, that said, oh, uh, if you respect what I believe, uh, then I can respect what you believe. Uh, amen. We can work together. Uh, we can go places uh, for the glory of God. Say, that's an isolated incident, Brother White. Well, then tell me why would he take a grown man named Timothy and submit him to the most painful experience? Say, come on, Timothy. 
Come on, Timothy. This isn't your landmark. This isn't mine. But it's our neighbor over here that we love. We want to help them. Amen. We want to draw them closer. We want to band together with them. We want them to hear what we have to say. And we can't show scorn uh, to what they have to say uh, and expect them to hear us. Uh, we're going to work together. We've got a world, uh, amen, that needs turned upside down. Uh, come on, Timothy. Uh, it's worth it, buddy. Uh, it's worth it, pal. Uh, come on, all of Asia is going to hear the gospel uh, before we get done. Uh, if we'll keep this attitude. Apostle Paul dedicated portions of three chapters out of his writings to the New Testament church to discuss the thorny issue of eating meats that was offered unto idols. This great man of God, a man, set a pattern for landmarks. It was, we always step up. Nobody is ever asked to step down. We're going to interlink, work with one another. We always step up. You, you haven't read his scriptures if you don't understand where I'm going with this, my friend. Uh, the Apostle Paul made it very plain. You say, tell me, explain to me, Brother White, uh, amen, what was meat offered to idols? Well, it was the discount meat market of their day. And how Pentecostals love bargains. Oh, God. Amen. It was the discount beat market. Amen. Where those on a tight budget could go and get the same cuts of meat for a largely discounted price. Because, you know, an idol can't eat the meat that's offered. And they had a clever little deal worked out. Amen. The assembly line from the front door led to the back door. The Bible called it the shambles. That was the open-air meat market uh, that was out in the back door where they could come and buy, amen, filet mignon for 29 cents a pound. Woo, sounds like a great idea. Sounds wonderful. Paul, is it okay? Paul said an idol is nothing. We know an idol is nothing. He said, we've got liberty. We understand that in the eyes of God, amen, that idol is nothing. Whatever was offered to him, it's nothing because he offered it to nothing. And the Apostle Paul explained to them it's okay to discreetly use your liberty at the shambles. Hallelujah. He said, it's all right. Uh, if a sinner invites you to dinner, you don't have to get self-righteous and say, <clears throat> <clears throat> Before I go past the dinner salad, I want to know, was this meat offered to idols uh, or was it not? He said, don't get that self-righteous spirit inside of you. Uh, he said, asking no no questions for conscience sake. Uh, when a sinner's invited you to dinner, if it's discount meat or the high-priced meat, uh, it don't really matter. Sit down, grub out, enjoy it. Uh, give them a Bible study. Uh, tell them about God. Uh, do everything within your power. Uh, amen. To win them to God. Uh, go ahead. Uh, he said it's okay. 
Corinthians 8, 10 through 13. He said, but if you sit down at the sidewalk cafe of the idol's temple, If you approach eating that meat with an attitude that said, that's ridiculous that they have a conviction like that. Right in front of them. Uh-huh. I had a minister in my church tell me, tell me, amen, of two different preachers that talked to him and said, your pastor holds to those extremist views. I said, what did they mention? said, those extremist views of teaching against wedding bands. Those extremist views uh, of teaching against video. Well, hallelujah. Oh, I believe I want to preach here today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Apostle Paul uh, said, if you get a flaunting, uh, in-your-face attitude uh, toward your neighbor's landmark, uh, whether he's right uh, or whether he's wrong, uh, amen, the Apostle Paul said, wait a minute, uh, it suddenly doesn't become okay. Uh, he said, you sin. Uh, read it. It's in your Bible. Uh, you sin against the brethren. Uh, you sin uh, against Christ. Uh, if that that sidewalk cafe, you sit there bold as a lion and eat that meat you have sinned against God's people you have sinned against God Ooh, hallelujah 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 be seated I remember myself at Bible school I remember I wasn't there but hearing a message that the buzz was all about of all the wannabe preachers at Bible school. That Brother Vaughn Morton had just preached a message. And Brother Vaughn Morton was so radical that he had just preached against hairspray on men. I lie not, brother. I'm telling you the truth. And it was the buzz of all of the wannabes deciding, deciding and passing judgment upon what a godly man of God with a passionate heart had preached in a sermon that he preached. The attitude of some of my classmates was that is the stupidest thing I have ever heard in my life. Next thing you know, he'll be preaching against water. He'll be preaching against breathing air. You know, I can tell you, flat-footed, of that group, there is not one survivor that's still standing for truth today. Not one survivor of that group 
Because there's a God in heaven that said, Curse it! Be the man! Tries to remove his neighbor's landmark. You say, I'm not here to answer for Brother Morton, but I was a part of that generation that had come from greasy kid stuff to a pride like you wouldn't believe was happening. Men, young men, preachers, would stand in front of the mirror for the hours that I used to see my sisters standing in front of the mirror. And they get every hair just in place. Everything, they just had to have the look and had to have everything right and hallelujah. But there was some of the rest of us that took the attitude that you know what? Our generation probably needs that kind of preaching. we got so much stinking pride that's in us, so much arrogance that's in us. Amen. So much. Uh, amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We, we probably needed somebody to talk to us. Uh, amen. About anything like that. Uh, you say, oh, no, Brother White, uh, that's overkill. Hallelujah. That's overkill. We don't need any of that overkill stuff today. Uh, you got to make sure that's killing a fly with a sledgehammer. Don't them preachers know uh, how to just use a fly swatter and take care of pride's the problem. Just take care of the little problem. Well, the Bible I read uh, describes our enemy as a wolf. As a dragon, as a roaring lion. I don't know about you, but I don't go after them with the fly swatter. If I'm hooked up in mortal combat uh, with any of them creatures, uh, I don't want the finesse uh, of a fly swatter getting after it. Uh, I want something that can knock the snot out of them. Uh, I want something, uh, amen, that'll cold cock them uh, and roll them over dead. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Brother, if something is your neighbor's landmark, you better not lay your tongue on it. You better not lift your voice if you want God to bless your life. Ooh, hallelujah. You know, face it. Overkill or not really depends on your feelings toward the enemy. I opened up Time Magazine on a plane last week, and I saw a picture of the remains of a vehicle that had an Al-Qaeda bigwig in it. Collateral damage, yes, there was a U.S. citizen that they say was in that too. He shouldn't have been hanging out with the enemies, all I got to say. And I looked at the dust. 
I mean, the dust. That's all that was left. There wasn't no fenders. There wasn't no steering wheel. Amen. There wasn't no, no nothing. There wasn't no bodies, no bones. There was just dust. You say, that's overkill. How ridiculous for them to send a hellfire missile down to do that, to wipe out one. Honey, if you feel like I do, that wasn't overkill. I hope they got some more of them missiles. I hope they got predators flying all over the Middle East. I hope they're bombing every one of them terrorists. Every time they move, wiggle. Amen. Shake a leg. Brother, I want them brought down. Hallelujah. You said, Brother White, that was way back in the 70s when you were in Bible school. Well, I watched the attitude of some today on the issues of today. I've watched them when men of God get up, amen, and preach against slits. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but I never got madder in all of my life, uh, amen, uh, than going at that hotel over there and in the elevator uh, listening to smart aleck young preachers, uh, amen, mock and make fun uh, and tell how ridiculous uh, that it was. Uh, I never got so angry uh, in all of my days. Uh, Want to say, shut your mouth. Uh, the Bible said you're cursed uh, if you mess uh, with your neighbor's landmark. Even if it's not yours, leave it alone. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. When I hear godly men get up and preach about no internet. Whether it's your landmark or not, whether it's mine or not, if God lays that on the heart, amen, of a righteous man of God, oh, something, amen, ought to stir deep within you. It said, I'm not lifting a finger against it. I'm not lifting a tongue against it. I'm not saying anything. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Somebody said, amen, that's just overkill. Well, if you feel about the enemy the way you ought to feel, about the enemy. A little bit of overkill doesn't bug you at all. It doesn't bother you at all. There's something inside of you that said, I hate my carnality. I hate my flesh. I hate this human nature that's inside of me. God, whatever you got to do, kill it, kill it, kill it. Oh, I feel God in this place. I want God to talk to our young people today. I want God to talk to our sons and daughters. I want God to talk to every young preacher. Be seated. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I got to go a little farther. I hope you're not upset. God's true church, the ones that are still called the people of God, are still defending their neighbor's landmark. Hallelujah. I saw 
I saw a precious old couple retired from pastoring here. I remember them inviting me to preach an anniversary service for them. I honestly, honestly, honestly didn't know that this pastor in his local church took a stand against brass buttons, you know, plastic that's colored gold color. To That was his stand. I honestly didn't know that. That was his stand on avoiding the appearance of evil. I'm not preaching that to you. That was his stand. And I arrived there. I'm the guest speaker to preach his anniversary. And I learned that while I'm there. And I look in the closet in the motel, and every suit that I have has brass buttons here and brass buttons here. And I thought, I can fix that real quick. I got my scissors out, and I cut every one of them off. The only problem was, it was the Labor Day weekend. There wasn't any cleaners that was open in the town. Have mercy. I finally found a Walmart or TGNY or something. Brother Johnny King over there smiling real big because he came in my motel room, uh, amen, and looked on my desk uh, and saw my little needle and thread uh, and a bunch of buttons uh, that I had got, uh, amen, down at Walmart. Uh, and Brother King looked at that uh, and he said, Brother, with all your other talents, uh, I didn't know you were a seamstress. Uh, I said, Oh, God, you got to pray for me, brother. I said, you know what happened? I said, I had to go to church last night. Amen. I worked hours and I only got one button on. Amen. I can't find a cleaners open. I can't find anybody. And I'm going to have to do this every service now. Amen. Look like an idiot up there with all my buttons cut off. Lest God help me to learn how to sew real quick. Elder, that was your landmark. And I didn't want God cursing me for messing with your landmark. Ooh, hallelujah. Us and the bookers went once to preach up in Canada. A church that their landmark is that all the ladies wear hats. No problem at all. My wife and Sister Booker, hey man, they got out California-style Western hats. They packed them a whole suitcase full of them. They walked toward the service that night, and they walked in. Ooh, I was up on the platform. Hey man. And I saw them walk in, and both of them turned every shade of red. Looking around, because these ladies just had these little tiny beanies up here on their head. And here came our wives. Oh, hallelujah. I told my wife I was tempted before I preached that night to say, before I preach tonight, 
My wife's going to come and sing a precious song. Who shot that hole in my sombrero? You see, we're still married. You know I didn't do it. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. That's not my landmark. But it's a neighbor of mine. It's a neighbor's of mine. And there's an almighty God that's looking deep into my attitude. Deep into my heart. He's looking beyond my actions. Uh, and he's looking at what kind of respect uh, that I can show towards somebody else's conviction. Somebody else's belief. Uh, amen. Uh, oh, God. Uh, I'm telling you, today's holiness preachers uh, desperately need to stand in solidarity uh, with one another. Uh, amen. Defending uh, the precious landmarks. Uh, hallelujah. I, I know it flies in the face. Of the popular attitude of our day that says, I don't have a dog in that fight. So it's no worry of mine. Whatever they do or don't do or whatever, it's no worry of mine. I'm not going to stand with them. I'm not going to stand beside them. I'm not going to be supportive of the principle they're fighting for. Haman hatched up a plot. The haters of the righteous seed decided we're going to start with assassination of character and then we're going to wipe out all the righteous seed after we get done assassinating their character. Telling lies about them. Esther sat smugly in the palace. Esther had an attitude. Said, I'm safe here with my political clout, my position. I'm in good with the powers that be around this place. I really don't have anything to worry about. She said, it's okay because my closest neighbors here in Shushan, everything's fine with them. All the Jews that live real close around me, they're all fine and they're all protected. I'm not responsible, she said, for the righteous seed that's in the far-flung regions of the kingdom. And a raspy voice from an old man of God stood outside the gate and said, Esther, you're wrong. You're wrong, girl. You're wrong. You don't think what's going on is going to affect you. But you're wrong, girl. You're wrong, Esther. You're wrong. She had the idea that said, why can't we just all get along? I'm preaching truth to you. Why are they causing trouble out over there in the utter ends of the provinces? Why don't they do it like I do it here in Shushan? Everything's peace. 
and everything's rosy. I wonder if that's how the 168 native pastors in Ethiopia that have lost their churches, that have been hauled before magistrates, threatened with imprisonment, clubs and rocks and even pistols have been taken into their churches all because they refused to believe that Mary was the surrogate mother of Jesus. All because they had the same revelation of the oneness of God that you and I do and refused to budge or back up or do anything different. Refuse to give up with their revelation of the incarnation that Jesus Christ was all God and all man at exactly the same time. They sit in sackcloth crying out, Esther! You think this doesn't affect you, Esther? If you won't speak up, Esther, and use the influence that God gave you. If you won't speak up, Esther, he said, I've got a message to preach to you. Uh, he said, first of all, uh, God's seed uh, will survive with or without you. That's what he said to her. Uh, he said, gal, I got news for you, honey. Uh, amen. God will send deliverance uh, from another source. Uh, even though you are the logical one uh, that God could use right now to do something about it. Uh, honey, if you won't put your neck on the chopping block, uh, God uh, is going to have a church. Uh, the gates of hell uh, will never, 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 never prevail uh, against God's church. God's going to have a people. But he said, Esther, you're not as safe as you think. I know you got connections. But girl, you're not as safe as you think. You and your father's house will be destroyed when you get to standing in their way, when you're discovered, what then? I clipped out a little, a little statement. We've all read and weeped and visited Holocaust museums, but I clipped out the little statement. A German pastor imprisoned for opposing the Nazis illustrated the gravity of remaining silent. Said in Germany, when they first came for the communist, I didn't speak up because I wasn't a communist. Then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for the trade unionist, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Catholics, and I didn't speak up because I was a Protestant. Then they came for me. And by that time, no one was left 
to speak up. You know what Esther did? Esther did what I hope the good saints of God right here will do today. Esther fell on her face before God, and she said, You're right. Let's band together. Come on, let's quit letting the devil divide us. Let, let's stop letting uh, all of these problems uh, and us not stand shoulder to shoulder uh, and arm to arm. Uh, Esther said, I got the revelation. Uh, amen. If I perish, I perish. I didn't ask for this position of influence, uh, of being the queen uh, to the world empire that's here. Uh, but since I've got it, uh, God will judge me uh, if I don't use it. Uh, I've got something uh, that's worth dying for. Uh, I've got something uh, that's worth putting my neck on the line. Uh, chop it off if they chop it off. Uh, I'm going to stand for what's right uh, regardless uh, of what happens. But I bring you one final point. Your closest neighbor is not the church. Across town, 60 miles away, the church three states over, or the church in the far-flung countries of the world. Your closest neighbor is your family. Your family, whose landmarks should be fought for like none other. I listened to a missionary in Brazil ask me the question a couple of months ago. He said, Brother White, is it true what I've heard about America, that the biggest problem facing the American church is preacher's wives? that are tugging and trying hard to move their husband's landmarks. I said, brother, I don't know. I don't know if that by itself is the single biggest issue because I know enough preacher's wives who stood true to righteousness. The carnal backsliding husband of theirs pulled and tugged, tried to destroy out of their life everything that they had been taught, everything they believed. So I said, I'm sure it's not just preachers. There's precious saints, a husband that's got a neighbor that he shares the walk-in closet with. He sleeps in the same bed with a neighbor that's got a landmark. Teenage kids got a mom and dad that love truth more than they love life itself. They're a close neighbor, just two bedroom doors down. And they're busy pushing and shoving and trying their best to get dad and mom to let up and let down and that's ridiculous that's not a part of my generation I don't know where you got those ideas and that 
Maybe my grandpa believed that, but it's not really, really what I believe. Music is a generational thing, they say. I want the GQ look. I don't share the same conviction you share about long sideburns. I don't believe what you believe about facial hair. Neither does my generation believe and buy into that stuff. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. The skin-tight dresses that the girls uh, insist on getting and wearing. Uh, and the borderline skirts. Uh, amen. That when they sit down are so ungodly. Uh, hallelujah. And two bedroom doors down. Uh, amen. Is a praying mama or a praying daddy. Uh, I said, oh God. I know it's not my kid's landmark yet. But it's mine. It's mine. I'll fight him every day they live here if I have to. But God, I wish you'd put it in their heart. I wish you'd get it in them. Oh God. I'm going to stand for it. Amen. Amen. Young people that fuss and fight amen and say what's the difference with the sleeve one inch above the elbow or one inch below the elbow they can name off all of the other churches to believe it different than you do but you hear me there's a God in heaven said you don't know what you're doing to yourself when you mess with your neighbor's landmark. You don't know how mad that makes God. You don't know how angry it makes Him. And I close as someone comes to the music. It's called the Getty Center. It's in Los Angeles. The wealthiest man of the world in his time, J. Paul Getty. They have built a spectacular museum of his. I've been there to look it over. Artwork I've seen right here in the U.S. Some of the greatest masters are displayed there. I enjoyed all the brand name ones. I've been there three times now. The last time I was caught by some of the good saints from Brother Marin's church in Bell Gardens. I stood in front of that picture. I had a notepad. So mesmerized my attention. I heard a voice, a lady saying, there's a fire. I didn't pay it no attention. I could tell it wasn't panic. Finally, I realized it was these folks from Bell Gardens that were standing there saying, we thought for sure that was you, Brother White. I said, oh, yeah. I'm just studying this picture out here. It's called the idolatry of Solomon. I recommend you going to see it if you're ever in L.A. France, Franken the second. 1622 was the artist that painted the idolatry of 
Solomon. A fascinating picture because in the background, in the background, it shows Solomon as a past event. It shows the temple that Solomon built to the one true God in all its splendor, in all its glory. And if you'll read the little inscription that they've got written on the side of the picture, it says it's referring to Solomon's former religious convictions. I didn't make that up. It's written on the descriptive note there. The background is referring to Solomon's former religious convictions of when worshiping, as we know, the one true God, respecting the landmarks that his father had held so high for him. There's only one God, boy. Don't ever forget it. But in the foreground of the picture, it shows Solomon surrounded by his heathen wives, burning incense at a pagan altar. I wish you could see the pained look that's on Solomon's face. He's not a young, charming young man anymore. He's old and bald-headed, wrinkled. He's bowing down nervously before his heathen idol in a heathen temple. He's so nervous he accidentally is spilling the incense that he's supposed to be offering to this newfound liberty that his wives have introduced him to. The wives are all gathered around with a look of bewilderment on their faith, as if to say, what's so hard about doing this, Solomon? We don't get it. Why is this so difficult? Get over it, Solomon. Everybody's doing it nowadays. What's the problem here, Solomon? Deal with it. Get up to date, boy. Everybody's doing it. This is life, Solomon. Get over them old antiquated beliefs that your father taught you. And they're all looking. Solomon's the only one in the picture that's got a clue. He's got a clue about what he's doing. If you change your husband to go along with what you want him to do, what have you got left but a shell of a man? If you change your daddy and get your daddy to cave in, the places you want him to cave into. 
What have you done to the man for the rest of his life? Every time he sees it and does it, he said, I know better than this. Oh, God, I know I shouldn't be doing this. I know better than this. I built again the things that I once destroyed. And I made myself a transgressor. neighbors and Mark shall we stand together I don't know how far I drifted or how long it may have been but there's a hunger deep inside me oh God. to feel your spirit once again but whatever oh the sacrifice my first love to restore my soul cries out just to be here would you find your daddy if he's here would you find that closest neighbor of yours and will you ask them to go to the altar with you teenager young married couples will you find your husband and your wife say come on honey I promise to you I'll never mess with your landmarks never mess with your landmarks. I'll love them. I'll respect them. I'll stand strong. 